but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body. When they went in, they did not find the body. While perplexed about this, suddenly two dazzling, two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the, the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. He is not here, but he is risen. The, the word of God for the people of God Thanks be to God. You may be seated. For the time that is ours to uh, share together, I want to talk a little bit about the cross, the grave, and the resurrection. The cross, the grave, and the resurrection. As I was preparing for this sermon, a song came to mind to me. It was uh, Just For Me by Donnie McClurkin. It goes something like, what does the cross of Jesus mean? It's more than songs we sing, much more than that emblem on your chain. But it means I'm free. Yes, from the chains of slavery. And the blood that's shed won't let my sins remain. Upon the cross, my Savior died. The Lamb was crucified. Showed us love this world had never known. Oh, what love so divine. A truer love you'll never find. So that we might live, love came and died alone. Well, the cross will always represent the love God had for me. When the Lord of glory heaven sent gave all on Calvary, he did it just for me. Just for me. For me. Jesus came and did it just for me. And it repeats that over and over again just for me, just for me. Jesus came and did it just for me. And I imagine churches all over the place are talking about this very same thing. They may be in many scriptures talking about it because there's many scriptures to talk about it in each gospel the, 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 the suffering the death and the resurrection and then there are the more academic people that are trying to come from the telling of Corinthians because that's the first one that told the story of Jesus' death, burial and resurrection but all over the place we're talking about a sacrifice that was made for us even though we didn't deserve it and we talk about the cross. Very few other emblems are more identified with Christianity than the cross. We, we put it on clothes. We put it on jewelry. We put it on robes. We put it on letterhead. We put it on signs. When you see a cross, you're supposed to think about Jesus. I've uh, even gone to some churches and I've seen people not like a church because they didn't see any crosses around. Now, that's a sermon for another time, but 
people take issue with that, they look for that emblem. The United Methodist emblem is a cross and a flame. Uh, most other denomination emblems have some sort of cross in it. If it's not a cross in a circle, it's a cross laying down on a cup, it's, it's somewhere. You see a cross, you think Jesus. You see a cross, you think church. You see a cross, you think Christian. And it's a wonderful emblem because it reminds us of that sacrifice our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ gave for us 2,000 years ago. The cross is a, a intersection for the one who knew no sin to meet up with those born in sin and couldn't save themselves. The cross it's an intersection, and I like that because it makes me think of an X. And the cross is the place where you put a lot of X's on things. X sinner, X liar, used to be lost, X dope dealer, X X X. The cross is the place where you can get that X and put it on there. The cross is a place where even though somebody died, eventually they got up. The cross is a place of pain, but it also heals broken hearts. You can take any problem you want to to the cross and get a resolution. The cross is even though it's a place of, of suffering and shame, because this was a place where common criminals were killed. It's also a place of redemption. There is redemption in the cross. As Augustine put it once, the cross is the place where the Son of Man, the Son of God, became the Son of Man so that the sons of men could become like the sons of God. The cross was our way to get to Jesus and our way to get to heaven. The cross provides a shadow for every poor, wretched soul that they can hide behind and find rest. You may not be able to find rest at your own house. But you can find rest at the cross. Right. You may not be able to find rest at your job, at your school, dealing with your friends. But you can find rest in the cross. It'll never fail you. The cross is the place where you can take your troubles. Because most people really don't care about them. They may pretend like they're listening. Some people may even be sad that you're going through it. But a lot of times people got their own problems to go on through and they're not trying to take on yours. But the cross is where you can take your troubles. The cross is the place where you can learn about people. Uh, because the cross is the place where you can be celebrated on a Sunday. Nice big parade thrown in your honor. But by that Friday, they'll be trying to kill you. But the cross is also the place where that coming Sunday morning, you could be made anew and raised again. Yeah. Yeah. The cross is the place where the weak are made strong. The cross is what we look to for our own redemption. If we never have anything else, we still have the cross. We may not have the car we want. We may not have the job we want. We may not have the place to live we want. But if I never get to drive a Bentley, I still have the cross. Right. If I never get the house I want, 
I still have the cross. And all those things are temporary. The material is temporary. It will go away. But I still have the cross. The cross is the place where a medical catastrophe turned into a place to turn us into champions. And it was a medical catastrophe. You see, the Romans were experts on torture. They had studied this thing. They had practiced it. They, they figured out the worst possible way to hurt somebody and eventually kill them. And they made it in crucifixion. It's a place where the cross is what Jesus had to carry all the way to Calvary or Golgotha, which was called the place of the skull. They beat him all night long, cursed him, whipped him with a cat of nine tails. It's a whip that you split off into nine, nine whips, essentially, and then you beat him on the back with it. But the whip's not enough. You got to break up pieces of glass and clay so that it can catch. And he took it all for us. And after that, they put a crown of thorns on him. And while he was going through all of this, he never said a mumbling word. Never said a mumbling word about it. Even though he was taking a punishment that he didn't deserve, the punishment that we all were supposed to take, he took it for us. And when they were on the cross, he had a choice because they had the spikes driven through his arms and his, and his legs. And the way they put him on the cross, he had a choice. He could either rest his entire body on the weight of these nails and suffocate, or he could push himself back up on the, on the spikes in his feet to breathe. See, the, 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 the cross, even though it was, it was painful, it was also supposed to be long. You wasn't supposed to die from the pain on the cross. You were supposed to suffocate. Your lungs were supposed to collapse. But the scholars say that the way that Jesus died, that his heart would have had to burst. And it's sad that his heart would have had to burst, but I'm also glad because we needed that blood. We needed that blood to wash our sins away. We needed that blood to reach the highest mountain and flow to the lowest valley. We needed that blood. And so for his heart to burst, that was for us. But he had to make a choice to either hang your entire body weight on two nails or stand up on two nails so you can hang your entire body weight and suffocate or stand up on those nails so you can breathe. And he had to make that choice. The cross is also where he had those famous last sayings where he was on the cross being made fun of and mocked and then they shooting dice over his clothes and he said father forgive them for they know not what they do and they didn't some people thought they were executing a crime and criminal some people thought that they were uh, teaching a blasphemer a lesson so that they could stay in power some people just came to see a show so they didn't know what they was doing, but what they were actually doing was fulfilling the prophecy. He who knew no sin was supposed to take upon all the sins of the world so that we would not have to suffer for them. Then he told the one thief, one thief was making fun of him and the other was, was saying that this was, are you not scared of God at this time? And he said, I truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. 
Something I found interesting about that is that Jesus was still evangelizing in his own situation. We might not want to walk around the corner because it's too far. We might not want to go to a church service because it's too early or it's too late or the pastor talked too long or I don't really like the singing or I'm not getting fed or whatever it is. But Jesus still told the time to tell people about God even while he was dying. And then he said, woman, behold your son and son, behold your mother. So there was still work to do. Even after he was on the cross, there was still work to do. He was talking to the disciple who Jesus loved, uh, John. And uh, that was in the gospel according to John, which is, as we all know, one of my favorite gospels. But there was still work to be done. And then there was time of distress. And he called out to God and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It may seem like all is lost, but even when it seems like all is lost, we can look to the cross and still call out to God. No matter what the situation is, we will still call out to God. And then he said, I am thirsty. And uh, I heard an interesting take preached on this last night. Um, Talked about being thirsty for Jesus instead of just thirsting for anything else. And I like to think of that now that we need to look at what kind of water we're taking in, not just the physical, but the spiritual. What are we quenching our thirst with? What are we substitute? Well, what are we taking care of our appetites with? And then he said, it is finished. He had done everything he had come to do. He had fulfilled his job description. He had turned in his application. It was done. Everything that he said he was going to do, he did. Opened up blinded eyes, set the captives free, preached the acceptable year of the Lord, spread the good news, had the spirit of the Lord on him, healed the sick, raised the dead. It's done. And then he said, Father, into your, into your hands I commit my spirit. He was on his way to do the, 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 the best of it. The rest of what he had done. But that was the cross. And we went to the grave. Now I'm going to stop right here and talk about a little pastoral pet peeve I have right now. Um, he died. He died. Didn't he die? I've been running into a lot of, I'm not going to call them theologians because if this is their theology, I really think it's weak. Um, They want to say he went through some sort of philosophical death or some spiritual transformation, but that he didn't really die on the cross. He died. He died so that he could take our place. When it's time for us to go, we're not going to die a philosophical death. We're going to die a real death. So if he died a philosophical death and we die a real death, did he really take our place? He died. Real death. So that he could save real people. He went through it. 
so that we wouldn't have to. He went through it so that he could take our place. He went through it so that his death, his cross, could create a bridge so that we could skip over hell and go to heaven. He died a death so that Paul could write in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall all not sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead shall be rised and the incorruptible. They shall be changed for the corruptible must put on incorruptible and this mortal must put on immortality. So that when the corruptible has put on incorruption and the mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to the pass where it says death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is what the death was for so that we could have victory over the death. So he died, not a physical, not a, not a philosophical death, but a physical death until the, until it got completely dark and the moon was dipped in blood and until the centurion said, surely, surely this must be the son of God until the veil was torn. He died. He died. And then there was the resurrection because he rose from the dead. We can cross over from this life into the next. And here, later on in the scripture, the women who went to go to the, 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 the grave to put the spices on the body are instructed to go tell the disciples. I'm going to stop right there. I've been saying it, and I'm probably going to keep saying it. I don't understand how a woman can be there at the birth of Jesus to know he was born of a virgin. A woman can be there at the death of Jesus. And a woman can go to the tomb and see that Jesus has rose again from the dead. And then this same woman can be told by the angels, you go tell the disciples. But they can't stand in this pulpit and preach the gospel. What is the gospel? Did we not just say it? We believe that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and on the third day he rose from the dead. Is that not what we were supposed to teach? Who was there for that? Who was supposed to preach the first sermon? Hmm. Which is why I really like, one of the many reasons I really like the United Methodist Church, we don't have that hang-up. Matter of fact, <laughs> the Texas Annual Conference is currently being run by a woman bishop who for a while, although her term has expired, was not only over the Texas Annual Conference, but when all the bishops of the country and the world got together, she was president over them. A woman. But we got places that say they need to shut up and sit down and they go to seminaries and teach and the teacher get up after they finish doing a sermon and they'll be telling them, oh, that wasn't really a sermon, that was a testimony. Because women can't teach a sermon. 
But it's here in the scripture. It ain't my problem. It's in the scripture. I'm sorry, I got off my back to it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Excuse me, back to my notes. Uh, we're, we're on the resurrection. <clears throat> but even after the women were told to tell the disciples, you know, they went to go see it for themselves. And I like that as well. Not because I think the disciples didn't believe them, but because you need to have your own direct encounter with the risen Savior. There's only so long you can get off of your mom and your dad's and your big mama and your papa's prayers. You need to be able to experience Jesus for yourself. I'm reminded of Acts chapter 4. The uh, disciples, Peter and John, were out evangelizing. And because they were out telling the good news about Jesus Christ, they got arrested and they got in trouble. And these people were interrogating them. And uh, as they were interrogating them, they didn't get, they thought they were going to trap them up in different questions and answers and be able to trip them up on what they said. But the thing that the, Sad the Sadducees and the Pharisees said after all of that time, after they captured and imprisoned Peter and John, and they were talking to them, and, and Peter talked about the Jesus who they crucified, but who God raised from the dead. And he told them about the story. And after they had been through all of this in Acts chapter 4, the people that were trying them couldn't do nothing with them. And even though they couldn't do nothing with them, they said that surely the one thing we do know is that these men have been with Jesus. They weren't educated. They didn't go to, sem they didn't go to seminary. They didn't have a bunch of degrees. But they had experienced Jesus. And because they had experienced Jesus, they were never the same. And not only were they not the same, you could see it on them. You could see who they had been hanging around. You could see who had been influencing them. And when you look at anybody else, you can tell who's been influencing them. You can tell who, what, where their bloodline comes from. You can tell what kind of behavior they got. You can tell who they are because of their personal relationship with whomever they are. I heard one person say that I, if you show me your five closest friends, I will show you where you are going in life. If you are hanging around more successful people than you, you'll be able to step your game up. But if you're hanging around people where you're always the best where you're around, you might not get any better. I uh, have a, a personal example of, of something like that. Uh, for a while, when I worked with uh, Winds Village Youth Ministry, I was specifically over the drama ministry. Now, when I was over the drama ministry by myself, I was okay when it came to theater. I mean, I, I was nowhere near like my sister or my brother-in-law who have bachelor's and master's degrees in the fine arts and, and that kind of thing, but I was okay. I was able to run the ministry, and when pastor needed a play, he got a play up. Then uh, the youth pastor at the time decided that we needed to step up, upgrade the level of the youth drama ministry. And so he brought in a playwright by the name of Thomas Malansign. I don't know if you've ever heard of the play Diary of a Mad Black Man, but it, it tours all over the country right now. He wrote that. 
and he wrote a lot of other plays and he came in and took over the youth drama ministry and so long I was no longer the best actor I was no longer the one who knew the best about theater but because I was able to hang around somebody that was better I was able to step my game up I was able to learn something after I got past being mad that I got demoted but that's another sermon it wasn't something I liked but it was something I needed and sometimes you may not like it, but it may be something you need and it may be something for the better. But I had to get past my ego of being over a ministry and being demoted to actually sit back and learn something from somebody that did this for a living. So you could tell who you're around and you could tell that these Peter and John had been with Jesus. And when people look at you and tell they can see your personal relationship with Christ you will never be the same because there is power in the resurrection there is healing in the resurrection there is deliverance in the resurrection there is safety in the resurrection I serve a risen savior he's in the world today and I know that he is living whatever men may say I can see his hand of mercy I can hear his voice of cheer And just the time I need him, he is always near. He lives. He He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He He walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. And you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. The doors of the church are open and we invite you to come.